Hello and welcome back to Project 99. It is July 3rd, 2021. We're getting ready for the 4th of July. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting that's this weekend. The Great American Holiday. I have painting to do this weekend. That's all I can fucking think about. Mm -hmm. But we have a special guest this week. Alex, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Alex, uh, former co-host with Maya a long time ago on a podcast that we did together. And uh, this is kind of itching to get back into recording. So here I am. The Mimas. The lucky benefit. R.I.P. Mimas Supremus. It was a good time. Rest in power. (laughs) Rest in power, yeah. So we have a variety of topics to talk about. We always usually start with local news. I don't have anything super local. The only thing that I wanted to mention was um, the legislation that passed, which actually let me pull up the bill name. I have it here. It goes into effect. It actually passed in April of 2021, um, but it goes into effect on July 1st of 2022. And I I wasn't even aware of this when it passed. I just happened to find it when I was reading about all the different laws going into effect in 2022. So West Virginia legislature um, passed House Bill 2933 on April 10th of 2021, which, to make a long story short, basically says that the state of West Virginia cannot contract with any companies who boycott Israel. And I thought that was really interesting because just recently a lot of people, I think maybe because the millennials are now becoming aware of it, I've noticed that things that aren't happening right now tend to not get talked about, and the Israel-Palestine conflict has been going on for a long time, so I guess a lot of the millennial generation wasn't aware of it. But because it's becoming um, more ramped up over there, a lot of people are talking about it. Um, So it came into the news, and of course, West Virginia had to apparently stick its nose in it and make some kind of legislation, as if our tiny little backwoods blip of a state needs to stick its nose in that with all the problems that we have, but... Thank yeah. you for saving us, Governor Justice. Yeah. Well, You're thank a godsend. You so much. I still don't have health insurance, but thank you for putting your nose in the Israel-Palestine conflict. I love it. As long as baby dog's safe, I don't care. <laughs> Maybe we can convince him to do a lot of stuff. Like, can you fix the fucking roads? Can we do that for baby dog? I mean, I think they are literally, in defense of that, I think they're literally working on every road in West Virginia at the same fucking time. True enough. They are actually doing a lot of construction right now, which is also funny because then you hear people bitching about it. And I'm like, wait. Is this is that how these things work? Like we all bitch that the roads aren't done, and now there's construction going on, so we're all gonna bitch about that. <laughs> it's like you can't win, but um, so that was the only thing I had for local news. So I don't know if you have anything. Um, state of West Virginia. Nope. We I had our big had... raffle. We made national news because I guess some places uh, were appalled that West Virginia was raffling off guns and trucks. Oh yeah. For the guns, coronavirus. Trucks, side oh, the, by side. I'm sorry. We should have mentioned that. The whole joke about the baby dog thing, baby dog thing was that uh, Governor Jim Justice has a dog, a bulldog named Baby Dog, and his whole campaign to try to get people to get vaccinated for COVID was called Do It for Baby Dog, and there was like a million dollar giveaway, but the rest of the the prizes that you could win were like um hunting passes like lifetime of hunting you don't ever have to like pay for the pass or whatever fishing license the licensures or whatever Mm -hmm. and there was like weekend getaways but they were also giving away uh like these big trucks and a lot of guns were like a couple different guns were given away i say a lot but i think it was like three or four um and i read on a couple different news outlets that weren't local that were just like appalled by that like leave it to west virginia to bribe people with guns i'm like hey i mean it's what works here right like cultural (laughs) you know what i mean like you go down south and like every every little store you pass on the side of the road like in north carolina south carolina it's like on sale fireworks and beer peanuts like, it's peanuts and peanuts like 
boiled peanuts. Like, I don't think of fireworks <laughs> and alcohol as going together, but down south, yeehaw. Like, that, that's they, thing. They, you will always see that together. I mean, it's a cultural thing, you know. <laughs> Again, how many mass shootings have we had in West Virginia? Hell, I didn't. I have no idea. Have I have ever? no clue. I don't think we've ever. I know the last big event that we had um, that that was considered like a, a shootout or whatever was when the, the guy who was an ex-cop shot up the federal building. Um, that was sometime in the last 10 years. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah. But it was just like one rogue guy. Mm-hmm. That's that's about it. I mean, it. that would count as a mass shooting. He didn't kill anybody. He ended up killing himself. Yeah, that was it. Getting killed himself. Yeah, he didn't kill anyone, though. Right. But that was like the only standoff we really had, and it was local, so that's fun. <laughs> I but, guess it probably depends too what you classify as a mass shooting now because they keep lowering the bar. Lower oh, I know lower. it's crazy. Mass shooting used to be like what was it, twenty people? Or I think something. if a dog is injured now, it can count as a mass shooting. Oh yeah, it's pretty wild. It's the standards are pretty low for it. I mean, I know there there's some too when you break down the list that it's like accidental shootings where more than one person gets hurt. They're consider they like classify. And I'm like, how can you even justify that at all? Well, like so one time stuff. I tried to look at like you know overlay different maps to try and say okay, well poverty and you know economic situation like try to overlay these laps and figure out the hottest areas where there's lots of gun like gun death gun people die from a firearm i want to i don't want to say i hate when people say gun violence like we don't say knife violence we don't say car violence (laughs) but we insist on saying gun violence it's so stupid but people that die as a result of of a firearm it's drugs it's it, they're high drug areas where there's gangs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of gang crime. Well, gang another cr- thing, that's too, is... where you have extremely high... When you look at a lot of the statistics and percentages where they talk about gun violence or gun deaths, <clears throat> a, a large majority of them, I, I want to say over half, but I can't quote it because I don't have the numbers in front of me, are suicides. Right, Which yeah. comes back like to my argument of, you know, are, are from universal health care, you know, get people mental health care. Like, I mean, I, I always come back to that argument because I'm like, yeah... We could probably prevent a lot of this by helping mentally yeah, ill people. Yeah, because no one, like, on neither side is interested in actually solving, solving the it. problem. <laughs> because you can always have conservatives saying, vote for me because otherwise we're going to take your guns. And you got liberals saying, vote for us because we're going to make sure these crazy people don't shoot you. Like, both sides love it. Yeah, so. sounds sense. But anyway, um, the only other thing I wanted to touch on, which was a little bit of uh, national news, was the Cosby um, Bill Cosby being released because it, it's just fucking appalling. But there's not really much to say about it. Um, from what I understand, uh, in a previous lawsuit, there was a deal made with him that uh, basically if he said what he did, <clears throat> that they wouldn't charge him. Um, criminally, that criminally. was a civil case, I believe. It he was a civil case. And, and he was promised by the current prosecutor he wouldn't be prosecuted. Right. But then a new prosecutor came into town and... Right, so basically a technicality of he admitted it, but they promised they wouldn't prosecute him for it, and then later someone else did, and they're saying that's not fair. So he just gets to walk free. Well, and the other leg of that was that the first woman that, you know, they brought charges against him based on her, her uh, you know, allegation. So he was being prosecuted for sexually assaulting her, and they brought all these other women in who alleged they were victims of him, who he was not being prosecuted for. They weren't, um, you know, co, um, they, they weren't in it with, they weren't actually trying to prosecute him. They just were brought into court to say, yeah, he did this to me too. And at the time that, that was done, it was even kind of uh, like, wow, like that's kind of prejudicial. Like you're basically saying if we bring enough people in and the jury hear enough people say what a bad guy he is, you're convicting him on, He's a bad guy. We don't have 
evidence, but we're showing you a bunch of people who say he's a bad guy. Like, it's kind of like a witch trial. Well, and specifically, I guess the thing was is that he admitted to giving women uh, quaaludes before assaulting them, and then they turned around and took that from the deposition and used that as the direct evidence mm. in these cases. I mean, look, Cosby's guilty as fuck, but I think the lesson to be learned here is that you know, there's a couple lessons. First of all, anytime you put any person in a position that is unquestionable, whether it's the Cosby dad, your family priest, your baseball coach, Michael Jackson, anybody that you give a carte blanche, like they would never touch a child or never right. rape somebody. You're fucking stupid. That's who you should be looking at. Because predators are not stupid. They're very intelligent and they figure out if they've got a door where no one's going to slam it shut on them and they're just going to take advantage. They build a network, a system. Cosby had people going out getting young girls for him, you know? So that's the first thing we need to learn is don't nobody deserves your trust because of a fucking title. They have to earn it. And don't trust your kids to go with somebody because you think that they're not that kind of guy because just, just stop it. And the other thing is if you push a prosecution to the point where you know you don't have enough evidence, you wait 30 years to go after a guy. And in and, and that woman's defense, she actually did go to police on Cosby at the time and the re police refused to do anything about it. So she's not one of these women who laid in wait for some reason. She went to the police and told them what happened. And an attorney said, you know, let me get this right. You're accusing Bill Cosby. Right. Get, get out of my office. Well, that, I mean, I guess so, that's part of what makes it so egregious is that every time these cases come up, you will have, unfortunately, a large amount of people that are like trying to find a way to put the blame on the woman one way or another. And there isn't really a way to do that here. I mm -hmm. mean... That, you're right. That woman went to the police. She did report it. And, yeah. and now we've gotten all the way through the process and he gets convicted. And then, oh, nope, sorry. Somebody made a mistake somewhere. And it's like, I get that we have a system and the people have rights that can't be violated. So they have to release him. And that's what the law says. But it's like, what about all the justice for all those people? Right. I mean, we just we, we can easily wipe that away, but we can't. I mean, it just seems it seems like these kind of situations can't be that black and white because that's just fucked. Well, but it is. It is fucked. But whenever there's too much overreach, regardless of the situation, if you push a situation past the actual power that you have, you run the risk of it collapsing down on you. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, this prosecutor ran to the very edge of what you can do to try to convict somebody and it, blew, and it ended up blowing up. Um, I feel like they did that with the Kavanaugh thing. Do I believe that that you know, girl went to a party or that woman went to a party years and years ago and Kavanaugh was shit-faced and he probably did, you know, stuff probably did happen. First of all, you're talking about a culture that was 30 years ago that I grew up in that, yeah, that kind of shit happened all the time. Sadly, a lot of girls don't go and say anything because they're like, well, I was, it was my fault, I was there, whatever. There was, there's tons of shit, like ch times have changed. You can't just grab a girl's butt in school anymore. You might actually get expelled now. Back in the day, like you could grab girls' tits, butts, and the teacher was right there and they'd be like, oh, boys are boys. Like shit has changed Yeah, but now. I feel like it's even more rapidly changing because I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show before. I know I, I've, maybe not, I'm not sure if it's been on here or not, if it was just a discussion. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or if it was just me, you, and Jermaine sitting here bullshitting one night. Um, but even when I was in middle school, that shit went on. And, and people were just like, hmm. Okay, but times have changed. Right. And guys are getting the fucking point now. And it's all awkward now because guys aren't really sure what to do. And I kind of feel bad because they're like in a cultural shift now. They got to figure out their new role. Like, is it okay? How far can I flirt? You know what I mean? It's awkward right now. But the point is you can't go back 30 years and apply a cultural standard of today to 30 years ago. Right. You just can't fucking do it. Yeah, they tried to do that with David Bowie because he had a he hooked up with a girl. As, she was one of the groupies or something that was like 17. 
So there was like a group of people that went after David Bowie saying he was like a pedophile. I'm like, you do realize this was in the 70s, right? And they like even talked to the woman now who was like, oh no, I was cool with it. Like, it's fine. You know what I mean? It wasn't an issue. Look at your culture of the 70s and 80s too. How many songs were there about sweet little girl and she's, she's only, only 17. 17. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. What were some of the other? I mean, there's countless, countless. Yeah, countless. Almost every Led Zeppelin song about a woman was about a young woman. And boys, being a, it'd be okay for like a young boy to be screwing somebody's mom. Like she's hot, he's hot for teacher. Right. And like mm-hmm. all these, like it was okay for a 14 year old boy to like be screwing somebody's Stacey's mom. mom. That yeah. was what? There you like go. early 2000s. So it was I'm all saying, about a 12 like, year old boy who wanted his girlfriend's mother. Yeah. So, I mean, we're kind of like going through growing pains now of a culture going like, we don't think that's really cool now. But with the Kavanaugh thing, it frustrated me because I'm kind of like, this is all a distraction. Like, could the Democrats not look at his shitty fucking record? Right. You know, like with Amy Coney Barrett, they were smart enough to like avoid the religious thing. Like the media talked barely about it because they were scared to seem anti-religious. But like, talk about how favor they favor corporations over the the little guy every time. Like, let's talk about that. I mean, so yeah, the Cosby thing is disappointing, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, me neither. It's a learning experience, and we'll go forward. And they were talking about it at the office, and I just I I just had to roll my eyes because I'm like, yeah, I mean. I work in an office full of men. I'm the only woman there. So, I mean, I guess they're, like, all talking amongst themselves. And I'm like, I know this sounds like news, but, like, it's just really not. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you guys remember Brock Turner? Do you guys, you know, the mm-hmm. Steubenville rape case? The mm-hmm. crazy thing is, on paper, it looks like the justice system worked and was, like, a right. champion of the people. Because it was a unanimous 6-1 to decision in Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So, when you see that on paper, you're like... Well, they got it right because it was six to one and obviously something bad happened. But you're like, no, this is just another instance of how the justice system is broken. Right. And mm-hmm. now you have another Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. It's just, it's Rich, disappointing. influential men get away with whatever they want. Right. Well, and that's what I said about the Cosby thing too. Someone else mentioned it to me and was like, well, well, you know, wants to attribute it to some kind of greater conspiracy. And I'm like, it's not a conspiracy. This has been going on for decades. If you have money, nothing applies to you. Like, it's just. And I guess, that's the biggest, I guess that's the biggest baffling thing for me about Donald Trump because I realize he re- he relates to, like, so many guys and, like, the kind of, uh, like, he'll say whatever he wants. He, they think he's, you know, kind of like he'll say whatever. He'll, 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 speak, he'll speak the truth. He doesn't care if it offends somebody. I get that. But, like, if you're a common average guy struggling through your daily life, do you think this rich, pampered bastard who never had to actually fucking right. work in his life who got away with anything never suffered a consequence for anything can't re- he can't really knows relate. do you think he's ever going to understand how you got fired for your job for some bullshit that you shouldn't have got fired for and left you in the fucking welfare line like do you think he understands anything about your life dude? or not just him but a- any of them i mean even politicians who are on the quote-unquote i should say politically correct side of things and they try to relate to working class or poor people and they're like we understand your struggle and i'm like literally suck a dick because you don't (laughs) so don't don't you're you're pandering to me for your vote and it's it's fucking gross i can't i just can't (laughs) so on to rich and powerful men who get away with murder here you go uh the next thing was donald rumsfeld that i wanted to cover um i just kind of had to laugh and i'm not going to stick on this topic for too long because i feel like um people who know who he is know that he was a piece of shit but I guess it shocked me the amount of people who didn't know who he was because, again, I reached that spot where millennials are really interested in stuff that's going on right now, stuff that's in the news, stuff that's happening at this present second. But Rumsfeld was um, a Bush crony, and he worked for Ford and uh, Nixon crony. So it's like, you know what I mean? I'm not, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that a lot of people didn't 
know of him, but I had to laugh that even <laughs> CNN, you know, highlights things like, oh, he was the youngest serving in the Ford administration to serve this position. And I'm like, really? Is this what we're fucking talking about? Um, and I found this really good article that I wanted to read a piece from because I feel like just, just this paragraph sums it up really well. It says, to be fair, Rumsfeld spent the first year or so of his time in the Nixon administration helping to shut down programs to help poor people in the country as the head of Office of Economic Opportunity and several other positions, though. He was directly involved with the Imperial War Machine. That alone might have been enough to earn him a stiff punishment in the standard of the United States applies to captured war criminals after World War II were ever applied to American officials. But Rumsfeld's most significant personal involvement in crimes against humanity happened later during his second stint as Secretary of Defense, and he oversaw the invasion of Afghanistan, kicking off the longest war in U.S. history. So I'm like, you know what I mean? That pretty much sums it up. Dude had his hands in, in the Nixon administration, Vietnam War, all that nonsense, and then they revived him and brought him back for all the nonsense we wanted to start in Afghanistan. So, well, that piece happens. of shit. <laughs> I mean, look at John Bolton. I mean, John Bolton, as soon as I saw a Trump pick John Bolton, seriously, here we go again. John Bolton has been itching to start a war with Iran forever. It's just, he, these war hawks, they just keep reappearing every, like, and usually they've served in, like, the as the CIA or the State Department or, you know, now Mike Pompeo wants to be president because he was, he was a CIA guy. Then he became the head of the State Department. Now he wants to run for president. I don't know. You know, the other thing, the other part about that was that uh, I thought it sums up pretty well that Nixon referred to Donald Rumsfeld as um, a ruthless little bastard. That's what and he that's, called him. And that's high praise from that's Richard from Nixon. Nixon. Yeah, so. From a scumbag like Nixon. I'm sure he said that in the most congratulatory, like, pumping up his ego way possible. <laughs> but that was from um, an article called Donald Rumsfeld Rotten Hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Daily Beast has a good one, too, and I don't, I'm not going to read anything from it, but Daily Beast has a good article on how during uh you know the Vietnam War the the reports of the deaths that were happening over there <clears throat> you know greatly diminished American support for the war so Rumsfeld was instrumental in trying to like squash the like reporting of the numbers mm-hmm. and uh, that continued in the Iraq War we still don't know how many Iraqis were killed in the Iraq War oh absolutely there's a massive range of like the craziest been, like, part about all people. of that is I'm like here we are yet another. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know a disgusting enough word to describe those types of people. But Donald Rumsfeld, yet another one of these people who lived and died with money and health care, getting everything that they want, power, whatever, completely ruthless monster. Um, and they just suffer nothing. I mean, even after everything we know about, you know, uh, the war in Afghanistan and the nonsense weapons of mass destruction. I mean, we, we all know that. We all know it was mm-hmm. fucking bullshit now. It's not like a conspiracy anymore. We know that weapons of mass destruction never existed mm-hmm. and that they, they basically knew that. And rode on it anyway, and got us into one of the longest standing wars. We've, and he just got to live the rest of his life, like no fucking problem. And yeah, so right. will Dick Cheney, and so will George Bush, and we just nothing happens to them. So I'm like, I guess. And if I'm it doesn't tell dead. you, if it doesn't tell you how far to the right the Democratic Party has moved, the fact that they're championing Liz Cheney should tell you there's a fucking problem. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we also running on like the third generation president who is allowed to just? drop bombs and airstrikes without congressional, without congressional approval. approval. Oh, absolutely. And Biden is doing exactly that in Syria. Absolutely, on yeah. the guys that they're fighting Iranian militia. But mm-hmm. really, I mean, how many civilian casualties are you going to have on top of that? 
We and only like to even, bring up civilian know. casualties when we're using it to make the side that we don't like look mm. bad. That's it. Right. Otherwise, right. we don't really we don't give a fuck. And about you got Congress is just completely complacent with it. Nancy Pelosi doesn't give a shit. Nobody gives. Bernie a shit. does. Bernie's tried and tried and tried to revisit the issue of uh, having aggression without, you know, acts of aggression without congressional support, and it just falls flat on its face because they're all taking money from the defense contractors, from Lockheed Martin, and you know, just name just Boeing. I mean, anybody that makes war machinery. Raytheon, they're all getting their pockets lined, so they're not going to fucking buck the system. It's a military-industrial complex. Player. Did you guys see uh, during Pride Month that they changed their Facebook profile picture to some kind of like gay pride logo or whatever? Who's that? Raytheon. Oh lord! <laughs> People were just like, yeah, almost every oh, yeah. company did too. At this we, point. Yeah, I mean they did, but it's just like really. I mean, all the companies do it, but really, like you make military weapons, and you're like, oh, gay pride, like <laughs> what the fuck? It's so very American, but. So I guess onto the main topic of today, which I have to admittedly say that I don't know a ton about. Um, I did some brief reading on it and watched some videos um, to get a little bit of an understanding of it. But Alex wanted to come on the show and he brought this topic up and I was like, oh, great. I would love to learn something. So I'm going to let him explain the majority of it. But it's about BlackRock, um, which depending on what news source you're reading it from, BlackRock is an investment company that buys uh, single-family homes, and some news companies say that uh, it's like killing the American dream because it's part of the reason why we can't buy houses, and then other companies are like, oh, they own less than half of a percent of the entire housing market in the U.S., so they're not a problem at all. Um, but like I said, I feel like I'm missing something here, <laughs> so I'm going to let you like explain. No, I mean, um, we're probably both in the same boat because I don't really know a whole, whole lot about BlackRock. It's a huge... It's almost conspiratorial in a way if you think about it because it's a huge rabbit hole that you could just spend a lot of time digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And the further you go, the weirder the shit gets. It starts off with like, oh, you know, they're buying homes. And then it goes into, oh, Larry Fink's been talking to Biden and all his cronies. And oh, Larry Fink's cronies work for the government. Like, oh, look how much money they have. It just keeps going further and further. And now, like, I don't know if you guys ever talk about the um, the miners in Alabama and Bessemer that are striking against Warrior Met Cole. Um, yeah, so big whole thing. This has been going on for a while. Warrior met Cole. There was something about, I don't, I can't remember all the details, but like this, the mining company that they worked for down there went bankrupt. And then somebody came in and bought them out, started the mine back up. These guys are all working, but they started protesting because all they wanted to do was go back to the wage that they were making in, what the hell did they say? Like 20, 2015 or something like that. It was like 22 bucks an hour. That's all they wanted. It, and it was part of their contract. They were supposed to go back to their previous pay. Well, the company's like, nah, we're not going to do that. And, you know, here's damn near slave wages to continue mining our coal for us. So they all went on strike. And, I mean, this has been going on for months now, just full-on union-busting tactics across the board. The, you know, scab workers, picket line crossing. Uh, there was a guy that got ran over by a, um, a mine boss as he was walking across the street to join the picket line. Like, it got bad. So I was like, wow, that's, cra that's a crazy story. I was kind of trying to keep up with it a little bit. Come to find out last week that a bunch of these miners and protesters traveled to New York City together to protest outside BlackRock's headquarters because BlackRock is among the equities that are, like, backing Warrior Met Coal. Oh, okay. That's and it's like, interesting. Like, the snippet that I, I only took one snippet about the mining, but it said... Um, I think this was this might have been New York Times. I read this from it said uh, today a group of striking mine workers traveled from Alabama to New York to protest the Wall Street hedge funds backing Warrior Met Coal, which includes BlackRock fund advisors, SSGA funds management, and Renaissance Technology. So, like, 
when I say that BlackRock is an equity, private equity company, they're huge. They're like the main biggest investment company. They're global. Like they're huge. And I mean. Well, that was the thing that kind of threw up a red flag for me was that when I started reading about it, um, you know, I saw, I, first of all, I saw an article on Fox News where Tucker Carlson did a piece about it. And I'm like, Tucker Carlson doesn't give a fuck if an investment company is buying up homes and middle class people can't afford homes. He, he doesn't give a fuck. So why is he talking about this? So I figured that there's probably something more to that. But then when I kept reading and it's like BlackRock, percentage wise of how many single family homes are in America, they don't own that many and they're not even the biggest. So I'm like... What is this? Why, why are different media outlets trying to demonize Blackwater? Because just the housing thing itself, they're really not that big of a problem. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. But to hear that they are involved in a lot of other issues that they're funding, which, well, that was the other thing, too, is that their company was worth like $65 trillion or something. And I'm like, how do you make $65 trillion on less than half of a percent of homes in America? Like I've got the actual figures here, too. Um, BlackRock's assets under management were 1.3 trillion in 2009 2019 it was 7.4 trillion and now by the end of last year they're at 8.7 trillion in assets under management so to say how big they are as of 2019 blackrock holds 4.81 percent of deutsche bank so okay this this is where i was i'm like okay because i'm reading this and i'm like if we're talking about just just homes right there's like 80 million, I think they said, homes in America, and they've got like a few hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, they said less than half of 1% of homes. So I'm like, this this whole narrative that BlackRock is somehow making it impossible for the average American to buy a home because they're buying them all is nonsense. That's not true, but there are people saying that if you have the money BlackRock has in these other home investment wall street home investing places and you're not buying a house right now something else is going on why are you right. not buying which was they the could next, be buying which is the, the next point i was going to bring up is that everything else i read which threw up a red flag was well why is it stagnant right now right. you think if anything they would be doing some kind of buying and selling with how flu- like fluctuating the market is right now mm-hmm. um so that was strange but and most of the ones hearing other- that blackrock is, is involved in much more than just buying single-family homes. A lot of things. Makes a lot more sense to me. Well, it's what he was saying about the coal. Um, in 2019, uh, it says, this is from Wikipedia, um, BlackRock received criticism for the environmental impact of its holding holdings. It is counted among the top three shareholders in every oil super major, except Total, and it is among the top ten shareholders in seven of ten of the biggest coal producers. They've got their dirty little fingers in everything. Which is why I guess a lot of liberals are like, divest from BlackRock. Like, I, I, you know, liberals will tell you, like, get out of this market because it's evil. Like, and, but you don't sometimes know why. Like, I have no just, idea. I've never even heard of BlackRock here's before. Here's your face. Here's, yeah, I never heard about them before either until just a couple months ago. Some of the uh, the news that I was keeping up on, I mean, they were like, oh, we got to tell you about BlackRock. And I'm like, what's BlackRock? And they're like, it's evil. And I'm like, <laughs> ooh, tell me more. And they're like, do you like homes? Well, you're not going to like them much longer because BlackRock's going to buy them. <laughs> and it's funny because like a mutual friend of ours, I was talking to him. Um, he recently went on vacation to Nashville for like an extended weekend getaway. And he told me while he was down there, because I mean, you got like this crazy white flight they're calling it going on. All these people were like 
flooding away from cities because you know the whole right. defund the police movement and crimes up and like economic disparity oh. everybody's moving away so like you have these droves of people coming out of california moving to like texas moving to rural ohio places where you know they wouldn't normally go they're leaving in droves so everybody immediately thought that it was oh man, all the californians are coming buying up all the good houses well turns out that it's a mixture of both it's a mixture of Wealthy Californians are moving in and buying houses more than value, but BlackRock's doing it, like, under the nose. So, and we can't say that they're, like, seeding this fake narrative because there's no, it doesn't hold water. But, like, he was telling me, there's, um, the one guy he was talking to down there has been, like, a lifelong resident of uh, Nashville. He owns, like, a small Uber company, and he said, um, the housing market is so fucked up in Nashville right now that if you put your house on the market, Someone will come in the same day that it posts and offer you up to a hundred thousand dollars over asking price in cash to get you to get the fuck out now. And people are taking it because I mean, if your house is worth two hundred thousand dollars, you list it for two hundred thousand, somebody goes, I'll give you three hundred cash right now. You're like, Oh fuck yeah, dude. Like now I can buy an even bigger house or right. now I have money to put in the bank. Mm -hmm. So people are like, Okay, sign here and they leave. Well, nobody looks at what's gonna happen afterwards. So now mm -hmm. a private asset company owns that house. Well, they're either gonna swap it back and forth to make money and keep their books going, or they're going to turn it into a rental property, which is like one of the biggest thing that these other private investor companies do is turn them into rental properties. And that's what, that was the other information that I pulled. There's, there's like three major players in the real estate market right now for private equity. You got BlackRock, which is arguably the richest, um, American Homes for Rent, and Invitation Homes. That was the other one I was thinking of, Invitation Homes. So in the dirt that I pulled on that was... Um, they're talking about the way that, you know, with all this money that they have, they're like a leg up on all common home buyers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. So, I mean, when I was trying to buy homes to flip them, you know, you're competing with people that have been doing this forever. It was like my first time was just trying to buy this house, like a shitty house that nobody wants, right, to flip it. And it's like people are rolling in, like offering, like, you know, they got, all I've got is the money I got in the bank to right. buy one house. You know, and you've got places like... Uh, you know, they'll have like those uh, conferences where you go and they're like, how to get into house flipping? And you go in there and what they basically tell you is that if you sign up with us, we will give you a line of credit to buy houses so you can get out ahead of like, uh, what was the married couple that does the house flips on TV, flip or flop? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because so, yeah. they did a conference here somewhere yes. locally. I used to and watch I went that to show it. all the time. It's, um, oh, uh, did you go to Yeah, it? and it's like... But basically, they're trying to hard sell you to accept this line, of, to get in with them and accept this line of credit so that you can go out and you can buy properties with no money down. Like, they'll fund you to buy these properties or whatever, and you flip them and all that stuff. And, and I mean... You're basically doing all the work for them to make money in the yeah, long Yeah, you're becoming, like, the subcontracted person. But Sounds like an MLM with extra stuff. But if you don't do that, the bottom line is you can't compete with these people. No. Like, how no. are you going to compete? Yeah. Well, like, and that's how it always comes down to. And I do agree with that. I mean, which is kind of where I was getting with this is that, you know, I was reading about the invitation homes and the American homes for rent. And even even their combined units of single family homes was like less than one hundred and forty thousand, um, which doesn't seem like a lot. And, and that specifically, I guess when I look at it as a whole, I'm like the real problem. And maybe this is just the way my brain works that it all comes back to is um not so much that I have a problem with these people buying them because it's either them or it's just a person like me or you that buys rental property. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the renters and landlords around here, they're just regular people 
but they have way more money than us and gives them a leg up and they have rental property and it's still stealing a home from someone who could buy it to be used as rental property which is fucked up but i mean right but there's there's a lot of back and forth and well they fix them up or they keep them running or maybe it would have been dilapidated like i'm not even getting into that whole argument what this all brings me back to is if people were paid wages that were livable (laughs) then they could probably afford to buy homes or build some kind of wealth and i'm like every issue for me comes back to the well maybe this is a problem and maybe that is a problem but at the end of the day if americans just had the opportunity to work hard and build wealth and that was maybe a a shred of reality Mm -hmm. for us then none of these would even be an issue but like he's saying like you're talking about behemoth wealth like in in the video yeah these places for sure but like i'm just saying that these mom and pop landlords are the majority these companies don't own the majority of homes as if you look at rental properties the majority of rental properties are owned by these mom and pop landlords not by these companies Mm -hmm. i mean you can't compete with them either but you know what i mean i guess for me i could see how a conspiracy of fear would come out of it especially given the fact that when the years leading up to the 2008 housing collapse my house was sold, like, I can't even tell you how many times. I'd get these letters in the mail, be like, you're home. They're selling your debt. Yeah. And it's like, what? And it says in there, nothing's changing about the, the terms of your sale, blah, blah, blah. Because it wasn't affecting me. They were bundling my house and reselling it. But it wasn't changing the original terms reselling of mine. Reselling the, the people debt, that yeah. were buying new houses, they were getting bundled with mine. Those are the people who lost their houses. So I didn't lose my house. But, like... I was thinking, this something weird is going yeah, on here. Something's happening. And I kept thinking I was going to get slapped in the face because, like, why is my house being sold a bunch of times? So you see these precursors to something bad happening. And what I think he's saying is, like, when you see any company with that much power and that much money starting to get into a market where they could li- basically shut out people from having homes, it's like Nestle thre- threatening to buy all water right. on the planet. Like, oh, absolutely. You can't have that. <laughs> like, you can't even collect rainwater. It's against the law. Right. Like, what? Oh, for sure. That's cool. Well, and the other part of that that I was reading is that especially in places like California where they say they have home shortages, that um, the government there is the problem, that they won't allow uh, companies to construct homes there. And I guess the thought behind that is, well, if you build new homes and all of the old homes that are already there are now not worth as much as that one, and it makes everybody's property values um, individually lower. Like, you know, where supply and demand. Right. I mean, if there's yeah. more supply, then you know what I mean? You, what you have is, is worth less. Yeah, but so, California is kind of a disaster in that regard because they have Silicon Valley out there, right? Springing up and all these people are making these ridiculous incomes out there, buying up all the houses. And you got people that like live there that don't work in Silicon Valley. They can't afford it. So they're buying an RV now to live in because they right. can't afford to buy a house because the house values are extremely high. Yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. Right, and see, that's the kicker too because this other part of this article that I pulled with the investigative journalism, I guess you want to call it, says, and this is I'm quoting this article, it says, Invitation Homes is getting deals twice as good as a typical home buyer, and that just shows that it's not just buying any houses, it's buying the specific houses with the greatest potential to be worth or wealth building for the middle class. So right. what's the largest source of intergenerational wealth in America? Real estate. Right, right. Absolutely. You get a house, you pass it down to your kids, yada, yada, you make money off it, buy it, sell it. Mm-hmm. That's our biggest chance for people that don't make millions of dollars a year. So they're coming in and taking the best potential. Mm-hmm. Investors are depleting the inventory of the precise houses that might otherwise be obtainable for younger working and middle class households in the cities where those workers can easily find good paying jobs. And the example is Atlanta. 22% of homes purchased are owned by Invitation Homes or, you know, American Homes for Rent or whatever you want to call them. Um, 22% in Charlotte and 22% in Phoenix. 
that's a pretty big amount of homes. I know that, that Invitation Homes and the um, American Homes for Rent, uh, which is probably part of the reason why I've never heard of this before, is they, they all of the properties that they have, for as many as they have, um, none of them are where we are. Right now, I was like going to say, con- connecting Georgia. the conspiratorial dots... They're all in Georgia. They're all in Florida. They're Major where, California. Where, where did where where are they changing all the voting laws at? Right, well, there's that too. So okay, that was the second thing I thought when I was watching this video, and I was like, weird. They're they have none the here. They have none in Ohio. They have Arizona. none in the Northeast. There's a ton. There's a ton in Arizona. The the two main states where they had the most property was Georgia number one per, uh, per capita by percentage mm-hmm. was Georgia and Florida. And I was like, all right, well, that's already yet another red flag because I'm like, you look at any election cycle and the last one, we were all biting our nails watching Georgia. So I'm like, hmm, maybe there is something here, but I I couldn't, I feel like I'm missing it. You know what I mean? Oh, don't worry. We'll get into the political side of BlackRock. All but, right. Uh, Take us there. Alex. I just thought that it was, <laughs> I just thought it was funny too, this last paragraph from that same article. I, I wish I could have found the journalist's name all i know is it was a new york times article i'm pretty sure was one of them that i read and i couldn't find the journalist's name anywhere but he like straight he or she straight up shits on them because in this the one paragraph he says the business strategy of the country's biggest landlords invitation homes and american homes for rent does not seem to be make renting with us so delightful that if my tenants have to move to cities they'll specifically seek out another property owned by our company yay repeat business rather based on reports from new york times reuters and the atlantic the, the reality appears to be closer to squeeze our tenants for every penny, avoid making repairs, let black mold and raw sewage accumulate, and count on the fact that moving is a huge expensive hassle. And that is exactly what you get with these large conglomerate rental companies. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Hey, my furnace is broke. Oh, pfft, hope you got blankets. Right, absolutely. You have any idea how many other tenants I have to take care of? Or they just don't answer the phone. And right. guess what? The first time that you're late on your rent... Bye. You're done. Well, yeah. look You're what homeless. happened. Bye. Look what happened with that building collapse in in oh. Florida, and you know, not getting political at all about it, but um, you know, the people had complained prior to that happening that there were serious concerns about the building, and they had been sent a letter, I think, in August of 2020, where um, they said, "Look, there are some repairs that need done in the building." And um, we are investigating options to fix it, but we're going to charge each tenant of the building like $25,000 or something. Like, this is your part of the repairs that have to be, like, for us to fix the building, every tenant has to pay this amount of money. So they were, like, dumping on these people. And, like, you know, when you hear condo, you're thinking, oh, condo in Florida is probably kind of But these are, like, regular people. These aren't condos that are owned by, like, millionaires. You know what I mean? Like, there's probably some penthouse ones that are nice, but, like, these are just regular apartment buildings or whatever. Um, so I feel like exactly what you're saying, that when stuff's brought to their attention, they're just like, meh. How dare you bring this up? Here's a fee. And I just read today that a building that was being, a new building that was being constructed, although I don't know who owns the building, it was a luxury building that was bu- being built very close to the Surfside building that collapsed. And the construction there was vibrating. Like, this building that collapsed, it, there were vibrations were extremely strong. The people were just like, hey, man, like, this construction. They sent letters. They were like, you know, this is crazy. Like, you're, the building in this new luxury th- place is, like, it's like, it's seriously, like, plaster is, like, falling off the ceiling and shit in our building. That's crazy. So that luxury building offered to pay $400,000 to the um, owners of the building that ended up ultimately collapsing 
just as kind of a nuisance thing. Like, we're sorry. Please support our building still being we're built. Sorry. We're going to give you some money. But the contract that they were trying to draw up to basically make this payoff, um, the illegal people on both sides were like, nah, I don't know. This is leave some legal issues here. And it never ever, ever happened. They never paid that building the money. But I think the fact that you've got exact this like sounds almost like the same situation where you've got this luxury building coming up and they call him an everyday guy lives next door and he's getting his building falling apart nobody's fixing it but hey you know what buildings come buildings go we got a new luxury one coming up here we're sorry it's shaking plaster off your ceiling but you know please support our rich building that's going to be probably million dollar condos right next door like this is also shaping up to be the largest loss of life by structural failure in the history of the u.s Wow. They're saying it could be upwards of, what is it, like 12 confirmed dead right now? And they're saying it could, there's 160 people unaccounted for. Yeah, still. I hate that they're they still say that. Rubble. That they're like, oh, only this, you know, 14, 15, whatever deaths. But they're like, how many, how, how yeah, long has are, it been? Yeah, 160 yeah. people are still unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. How long has it been? Those, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, in today's day and age, if somebody's unaccounted for, you know, maybe call them and be like, hey, are you even home? And right. if they don't yeah, answer we know for a pretty week, much at you know, this point that most of those people dead. are lost, you know? Um, and they're going to end up having to raise that building. Oh, absolutely. there's a storm coming, and they said it's it's precarious. So they're going to have to collapse the rest of the building. And you've got, it's just major blame game right now because you've got, you know, they're blaming the company that owns the building. All, you know, we were working on it, but maybe we took too long. And then try, people are trying to blame the building inspector that came in and showed the damage and reported, like, oh, you should have reported better or you could have done more. It's like, you know... They're blaming the construction next door. And then um, they said that there's there's actually a condo like right up the street owned by the same company. And they said those people are now like, should we move? Well, one building, I don't know if it's that building, but I read this morning another building in Florida that because they're doing all these inspections now, there is one other building that is being evacuated of people. Right yeah, now I actually, somebody at our office was talking about that who lives in Florida and is up here visiting right now that lives in a condo. Mm-hmm. So he was talking about um, people that he knows that are like, getting notices like yeah this is this building now has been inspected and is dangerous mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean so i feel like unfortunately now that that tragedy has happened maybe it will save some other people because other places will be like oh shit we're gonna for be held liable i mean yeah for a little while mm-hmm. but um it's kind of fucked up the situation that we find ourselves in too because i've been tr- i've been trying in my spare time to follow this infrastructure fiasco that's going on too with everybody's just arguing back and forth and oh, you know, asset recycling and let's sell off all our roads to private companies and then everything's going to be a toll road and that's how they'll fix it. But like we're, we're starting to get to a point where literally all of America's infrastructure is falling apart around us and we're not getting it fixed fast enough. So like the Wheeling Bridge project, we're also not only are we in year three of the two-year project, but it was like they came to them and said, hey, if we don't fix this now, people are going to die. <clears throat> right. Like, this absolutely. bridge will fall. And Which, look exactly what happened in D.C. last week. Passenger bridge fell on I-295. Um, the major six-lane highway bridge from Memphis to West Memphis that hundreds of thousands of people travel across every day. A inspector shut it down. It is shut down. It was like the beginning of June through probably the middle to end of this month because there's a huge crack in one of the support beams and they're like this bridge is gonna fall and you know then you come down to a situation like that where it's like put it off for so long or maybe we didn't notice or you know yada yada but i mean now you're to the point where this 45 minute commute for most people that live in that area they're now taking three hours to get right. where they need to go right. and you're talking about big well, trucks just a couple well, of I years think, ago, i think that's, that's florida, the, the walk bridge remember collapse in florida i think that's part of the reason why a lot of people around here are bitching about it um 
is that it's like, well, I'm glad they're doing the construction now. And I joke about people bitching about not doing it and then doing it. But the, the, I think the problem is, is that this could have been done a little bit at a time. But we know that the only reason they're doing it now is because we it, it's it's a danger. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a catastrophe. And this, the same thing, not only they're you know doing all this construction, but the um, suspension bridge, which is like a historical bridge. Um, and it can't it's not, it's not used for everyday traffic because vehicles over a certain weight can't even travel on it. And they say because they do anyway is what caused the damage. But does anybody remember the last time that the suspension bridge had any serious structural work done on it? I mean, so at this point, they've just closed it off and now it's been closed for two years Mm -hmm. um, because they're just like, well, if we have to close it down now or it's going to be totally destroyed. So it's just it's shitty that they've put all this stuff off for so long that now it's all happening at once. I Mm -hmm. mean, they've they've got construction in our area. I mean, somebody trying to get from. I mean, if you're not living around here, you probably have no concept of what we're speaking of. But a town that's 10 minutes away, that takes you 40 minutes to get to now. Mm -hmm. Because not only are the main route that you go, you can't go through. But also, you know, out of the three detours, two of them are also closed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there's like one way to get anywhere you're going. That was Florida (laughs) International University pedestrian bridge collapse March 15th, 2018. 175-foot-long section of the FIU Sweetwater University City Pedestrian Bridge collapsed onto the Tamiami Trail, Route 41, resulting in six deaths, one worker and five motorists, 10 injuries, six serious and four minor, and eight vehicles being crushed underneath of it. And that was pretty scary. I remember that happening. Um, I'm pretty sure that nobody died in the... The last I looked, nobody died in the D.C. Bridge collapse. It did crush a truck, and it did shut down 295 completely because mm-hmm. it spanned across all lanes but i think it was just minor injuries people got i mean that truck that it fell on it's surprising that driver didn't get hurt because wow. it destroyed that truck mm-hmm. and it just fell just fell somebody and that was a the other day too uh, mm-hmm. he he's uh, an older general gentleman a part of the boomer generation made some comment about Ew. we were <laughs> we were being inconvenienced because our building was going to be without water and we had to close our business for the day uh, because they're replacing a lot of the water lines in wheeling as well as all the construction that's going on and I believe that's related to some uh, an EPA law that was passed that was like you have to bring your water lines up to code countrywide, and and we don't have them up to code here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how true it is, but I've been told by a lot of people in the area that the water lines that are in Wheeling have not been replaced since the 1900s. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's not. just some original. Of them, I, this is why I read this article, and I don't know if it was in a Wheeling newspaper, but that some of the ones that they were replacing were actually made of wood. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That yeah. they're they're the original. Mm-hmm. They have never been updated. So. But uh, this whole surrounding area completely failed every quality absolutely. control testing for water. So he like, was they said, complaining. Like, it's not, you can't even drink it. Like He was complaining die. about the, the water being shut off or whatever for the day. And his son, who is uh, about the same age as you, said, you should just shut up about this because it's your generation's fault that my generation has to pay for this. And I was like, oh, burn. Like, well, and you know. It's sad, but it's true. I mean, they did nothing. They did. I mean, I can't speak for all over the country, but from what I hear about America's infrastructure in different, every time something like this happens and they, they actually examine what the infrastructures in these areas are, mm-hmm. it's countrywide. This isn't just a West Virginia thing, but I know specifically in this area, We've done nothing. Mm-hmm. We've not, nothing has changed well, here. Well, you know, it irritates me because, you know, when you see these things on a ballot about, okay, well, um, like funding schools or, you know, we're going to put a, a levy on to to fix something infrastructure-wise. Like the older people are kind of like, well, and, I, and I'm 50, but like, like the older people are like, well, I don't want to pay a school levy tax. My kids are raised and like, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> fuck you. Like, fuck you for real. And like, I see these commercials on TV are like, 
oh, don't worry about your life insurance. You can sell it back now and have money for yourself for your retirement. And I'm like, oh, you mean the life insurance that most people used to buy so when they die, like their kids didn't have to pay for their funeral and worry about what they were going to like. People used to like do things and build their wealth and then like so their kids will be taken care of like when they die. And it's like there's this whole group of people that are just like, hey, you know, you know what? Reverse mortgage that shit. I don't need to leave a house for my kids to have an asset. Fuck them. I'm just going to reverse mortgage this shit, spend it, travel the world, fuck my kids when I die. I feel like they should just make a bumper sticker that said, I reverse mortgage, I fucking sold my life insurance, fuck you kids. Like, I, it's just like, <laughs> fuck them kids. You know, and like, <laughs> I read a book called um, A Generation of Sociopaths, which you might like, but it's about like how the boomer generation being like this massive population. All about right? me. It's strange. So That's... they had such numbers in politics that it was like, any, so all the politicians care about, like, what do the boomers want? What do the boomers want? We got to get mm-hmm. the boomer vote, right? And so, like, they were against helping anybody till they got old. Then they wanted Medicare increased. They wanted Social Security. They voted all that shit in, right? And then, like, once they got it assured from themselves, they're not like, no, now it's we don't want any welfare for no younger people. We don't want to help younger people at all. Stagnant minimum wage for 15 years. It's right. kind of like, what the fuck? Like, and I know it's not all boomers. I'm not saying everybody who's a boomer. But I'm just saying, like, that's because of the the insidious nature of how politics works. Then instead of saying, well, yeah, this is the largest voting block and we do care about getting their vote, but we can't sacrifice the smaller group of people in our society just to cater to that one. Like, that's what I'm saying. All societies have their problems and all economic, whether it's Marxism or capitalism, has its drawbacks. But the my problem with capitalism is, okay, we're stuck with capitalism. Right now, we can't fucking get rid of it. But the way that it has, it has just decayed into the super elite oligarchs in our country and, like, the rest of the – like, like capitalism, the way it used to work is people with money bought businesses and hired people and paid those people wages. And those people paid taxes and the taxes built the roads. And those people could buy a house and they could buy a car and eventually yeah, the they could – The American dream. The you American go. dream. Chicken in every pot and a car in every driveway. But then it just got to be where the wealth just all funneled up into this pyramid of just the people at the very top were getting, and everybody at the bottom. And the reason we didn't realize what was happening was fucking Reagan. Because when Reagan got in there, it was all about credit. People didn't have credit cards really that much before. You know, I don't remember anybody having credit cards before. And then it was like, now it was a store. You could go to a store and, you know, like the store in town would give you store credit. But it wasn't like you had credit cards in your wallet. Then, because there was credit, nobody realized they were getting fucking poor. Like, yeah, your income hasn't gone up in like 10 years, but you haven't noticed because you're buying everything on credit. That's what happened in the Reagan era. And so people didn't notice the quality standard of living has been going down. And yeah, down isn't it kind of ironic that down? capitalism's biggest enemy is just the greediest of capitalists? Yes. I mean, it's like I'm capitalism saying. could probably work. I mean, despite all of the moral arguments that super left people would probably bicker about. Um capitalism really wouldn't be as broken and damaged as it is if it just weren't for abused. the abuse right that's what i told my, my I told my dad because we argue about capitalism he he called me a marxist but i'm like you know if you look at the whole system though i mean Karl marx said if you just think about the term minimum wage what it just think about that word minimum wage the what does that mean will pay you to survive time. to produce more for me that's what minimum wage meant. To keep you breathing, to work, to produce right, this, wealth for me. The biggest fucking argument of all of that, which, which I I love getting into these arguments with people, especially people that are very the stereotype of a conservative, 
because it's like the positions that they respect the most, which like just police for one example, are paid so shitty. And I'm like, isn't it your party that's like always telling people if they don't want to be in poverty and if they want to afford to buy a house or drive a car that they should just get a better job? Mm-hmm. Well, what about like cops that you guys like, you know what I mean? That you mm-hmm. worship like the, the I can tell you wheeling cops are probably not making more than 30 grand a year. I think it's you know like I mean? 36 last time I checked something like that. Are you fucking now, kidding me? That wage is higher depending on where you live, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's also a hell of a lot more dangerous. There's cops well, in Columbus that just probably make about eighty a year. Thirty-six thousand dollars in the city of Wheeling. I, I, basically, everybody I know makes more money than that, mm-hmm. and their jobs aren't anywhere near what it's a cop has to do. Yeah. So it's like, really? I mean, you can't even use that scale. So I don't know when the brainwashing of if you're poor, it's your own fault is going to end. Meritocracy. It's, if you just work harder, you can accomplish something. It's a lie. It is a lie. And you know what I said about it's a lie that, like, you would never tell your kid who plays baseball, who's barely average, someday you're going to grow up and you're going to be, you know, the star baseball player on the, I'm not going to say a team because I don't know anything about sports and I'll say some basketball team, but you would never tell your child, like, when they have mediocre skills that they're going to grow up to be a fucking professional sports person, right? Because you're just like, why lie to them? But we'll tell our kids, if you work hard enough, you can have a nice house and a car and you right. can go on vacation with your kids, go to Disneyland, and that's all fucking lie too. Right. And I mean, it's it's hilarious too, like especially as a new father, you know, and I, I start to look at these older parents, like people like my parents' age, the boomer generation, the way that kids were raised with that whole like, oh, just work hard and you, you know, oh, you know, you suck at baseball, but hey, don't worry, someday, you know, I want you to keep playing even though you don't want to, so someday you'll be really good. You're seeing this huge paradigm shift in parental guidance now like the way that kids are being raised now versus how like our generation and then the one before us was raised it's a whole different ball game now because now it's like okay this is a precious human being and like they're a blank slate like my daughter is literally a blank slate she's five months old so you're watching like how someone functions with this new form of parenting versus the old way of like, ah, scrape it off. Like, ah, boys don't cry. And yada, yada, like this old school, like, ah, suck it up. You know, you're a man. And it, it's, it's weird to see this. And like, you see a lot of boomers and like the, the Karens of the world that scoff at you at the store. Like, oh, you should just spank your kids when they're bad. Like, oh or God. I could just, you know, talk to them like a rational human being oh and God. let them realize what they're doing wrong. Right. No, I beat my kids and they turned out fine. Really? Because your son's dead from drugs. <laughs> right. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> Did get, they though? Get the fuck out of my face. Nobody <laughs> yeah. told your parents how to do shit. Like they're getting mad because their way of life is changing and they right. don't know how to grasp that. You know, mm-hmm. we struggle with it every day. The world changes every day. We had a long conversation the other day about, you know, having kids now versus not having kids because of the state of affairs of the, of the country and the world and, like, climate change and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, it just, at the end of the day, it's all about doing better by your kids so that they don't end up in the same situation that we are, which is where you're left to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. And right. you shouldn't, you got to leave behind a world that's better for your children than it was for you. You know what I mean? It's not, we're not wild animals. It's not, you know, when your kid's five years old, you take them out in the woods and you go, well, if you don't kill something today, you're going to starve. Because right. daddy's not going to do it for you. Like, it doesn't work that way. What the way. fuck? There you might know? be people in Kentucky. Who still do there might be, there yeah. might be people in West Virginia yeah, that still do that. I just have to no, it is Mitch weird. McConnell and I, I do hope that as, as many hopes and hopes and dreams that a lot of people put on millennials, especially in the political sense, which I'm like, ah, I don't know. I mean, we're all still pretty young. And I think as the older people get, the more nihilistic they get about politics because we all realize we don't really have all that much control. 
But that is a good point about how they raise their kids because the boomer generation, I just, awful, awful way mm. that they raise their kids. And they mock anybody who doesn't right. subscribe Well, to and then your generation, mentality. I feel like, went 50-50. There were some that were really fucking awful parents. And then mm. there were some that were, were better. You started mm. to see a slight shift. And now I see in millennials, it's for the majority, that, you know, as much as people old especially older people make fun of millennials for how they parent a majority of millennials that i see who are parents while some of the stuff they do might be like funny to mock it is better you know what mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i mean i heard somebody i won't say who but an older person not quite a boomer um that was making fun of somebody saying that they only were feeding their kid organic stuff and i'm like why are you mocking that if they can afford to feed their kid organic shit what business is yours and yeah. why would you mock that poison was good enough for your their kids i guess is that what it is it's just a deflection of guilt because you know you fed your kids shit and you feel bad i, think I mean they, i think a lot of boomer people are you know like my parents are set in their early 70s and i think that their parents grew up in a depression and a lot of it was just the idea that the only thing getting you through the fucking day was mental toughness you just had to know when you had like six pieces of bread and you know six kids like how you you you, like every day was brutal and when in a depression you know and so then these boomers grow up and then it becomes like us they got spoiled like the economy was better they got they really got spoiled it was easy to get a job it was everything was easy for them but they were raised by these parents who suffered so much that they tried to tell them, like, listen, you got to be hard. You got to be, you got to work hard. You got to. So they told the boomers that, but they never had to actually do it. So then when my, when our generation comes around, my dad's brain, try to brainwash me into this fucking work ethic that's ridiculous. And I look at him and I realize, like, he's a lazy motherfucker. Right. Yeah. He didn't fucking like the work. And it, he drilled that into my brain and, like, being tough, you got to be tough and shit like that. He, he ain't tough. I always think of the, uh, the one Twisted Sister music video. You, you probably know what I'm talking about. I can't even remember. I think it's We're Not Gonna Take It is the song. And it's like the kid sitting in his room playing the guitar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the dad comes in and he like screams out. He's like, what are you going to do with your life? And I'm like, I imagine every boomer parent is that way. I'm going like, to get what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's I'm funny like, too because like you said earlier with Brock Turner, that's another prime example of the narrative only fits for them when they want it to. Because right. like they go... Oh, you know, like we never had to work for anything and everything was handed, but we expect you all to work for it. So like with Brock Turner, it was like, oh, he's too rich and white and he doesn't know right from wrong. Or like there was that, what was that? There was a story a couple of years ago. There was like that young, what was he like 17, 18 year old kid or whatever, driving drunk, wrecked the car, killed his four friends or whatever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they, he got off because the judge and the jury argued that because he had grown up rich and powerful, he was affluent and he didn't. He, he was never understand. taught right from yeah. wrong because he couldn't understand it. So I remember that. Are you fucking so, kidding me? So, I mean, why don't minority kids grow up in violence in the, in the fucking ghetto they got to deal with every day? Why can't they use that as a defense? Like, I have to right, deal with it violence. doesn't fit the conservative Yeah, I did era. something violent, but I grew up in violence every day. So that's what I understand reality to be. So why doesn't that work for me for a defense? I mean, that's total bullshit. But it yeah. is. It really is. I mean, I, I, was, I will never say, like, that I was a good parent. But I, I, when I tried to listen to my kids, like, when they were little, I tried to look at them and say, like, what do they show like an interest in like if your kid's good at art like I knew a guy that was like all about his son being in sports and his son wanted to play an instrument and he fucking like just you know just made this kid's life miserable because he liked music instead of sports and I'm like what an asshole you know what I mean how about not caring about what you fucking want just looking at what your kid like makes them happy and and if as long as it's something functional not something bad but like the whole gender neutral thing 
I was fine with that. I gave you to, uh, boys toys and girls toys, and I didn't take no flack for that. But your brother, I gave him cooking stuff and dolls, and all my family flipped the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Even a coffee maker. Like, a boy, a man's not supposed to make his own coffee. That's a woman's job. <laughs> Really? Well, fuck, somebody better hire me a maid then because I make my own coffee every day. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, your brother would pick up the dolls and, like, his little thing with the bench that had, like, the little nails. and He would hit the nails with the baby doll's head. Like, he really didn't have the thing, like, with the babies, which is cool because you really didn't show much affection for dolls either. But I was like, that's fine. Like, it's just letting your kids explore themselves and find out who they are. And that goes on both sides, too, because I worry that the other, the other, as the other side is having to affect on that now. It's like... You should always be accepting of your kids, but you know what I mean? I don't feel like push them either pushing, way. pushing them either way is a mistake. Let them just be what they are. I think that all the time now because it's funny that you brought up that, and I won't go on it for too long because we're almost out of time, but the gender roles thing, and now I feel like it's the opposite. Like we're too concerned about not pushing gender roles. And I'm like, man, is it really that hard to have a middle ground? Because I think about when I went through junior high and realized that I was bisexual and then, you know, went through high school and had all kinds of androgynous looks, was never like super, super tomboy, but was never super girly. They were just kind of dependent on how I felt. I had short hair, I had long hair, did it all. And I never thought anything weird about that. Nobody ever put a label on it and I didn't need a label and it, it was just, it was just what it was. You know what I mean? You. It was just me being me. And I think now about someone who is exactly that same way, who might now feel pressured that they have to choose some type of sexuality or label for that. And and, yeah, like, and also we that we that? have to put it out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I also didn't live at a time where you have to have a social media page that puts what your pronouns and what your sexuality yeah. is up front. Oh, I didn't have to tell anybody who I was interested yeah. in. You know what yeah. I mean? So I'm like, I feel like that's a lot of pressure to be putting on kids, especially just from my own experience, who took a lot of years to just figure out really what that even was. Right. You know what I mean? Not everything needs a label. Like, And yeah. I get that on one side, maybe they're trying to be accepting of it, but it's like, listen... Just in my personal experience, you you end up figuring it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you want to be a supportive parent, just leave them be. You right. know what I mean? Just let them be. And let them language, figure it out. Language in and of itself, the human the human capacity to understand language as we as we're growing like a baby, like you were saying about your 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 daughter. She like when she looks at the world, she doesn't see a phone or water. She sees things moving, and she doesn't have a word for that. So at that point in time, to me, is the most pure perception of a thing when you haven't named it you're actually experiencing its quality without a na- without a word for it and I think about that sometimes I'd argue with really intellectual people and I get in this big heat argument and I think what do, what do animals like and I'd get upset over the argument right and I think like animals are so lucky they don't have words because they just perceive the world in a very visceral way they don't have words for everything and so when we start putting words on things you're exactly right because our brain learns to categorize things why is a chihuahua and a doberman they're both a dog but over time we learn to say that's in a category for some reason and when you say someone is um you know bisexual or or whatever label you put on them it's like now they're that right to the exclusion of other things and i just think fuck all that just be just be what you and that's exactly what i was trying to tell you yesterday and it's it's really hard to put that into words on text because i mean it only comes out one way but like Basically, what I was trying to say was like, you were, you know, when when you have a child and you look at a blank slate. I mean, it's you know the whole shift that they talk about, like, oh, wait till you become a parent, then you'll understand. Like, I was like, ah, it's bullshit. I'm a guy. You know, nothing's gonna change. I'm like, that's a kid. I'm gonna love it, dude. It's it is a you feel it every day inside you, and like, it's the most, it's the most beautiful thing that could ever exist 
to me personally because when you look at like when I look at my daughter, when I say I'm looking at a blank slate, I mean a pure blank slate. She is only the experiences that she's had in life. So like when I can look at another human being and see something that has no critical self-analysis, you know, has no anxiety, has no doubt, depression, any any of the plagued mental problems that humans have, it's really beautiful because like when she smiles, she's smiling because she wants to because right. something made her happy. It's mm-hmm. not forced. But There's no like fakeness to it. That's you know? where I get my... When she cries, she needs something. Maybe it's, it's not like somebody a, hurt her feelings. My existentialism or maybe nihilism even that I think I, I absolutely believe you 100% in all of that. But then I come to the eventuality that kids are only kids for so long and right. then they're exposed to all of this and it's like, I don't... People talk about the way they love their children and I don't have children so I don't understand that. But it terrifies me because I know how much I feel things. And I'm like, imagine having this perfect thing that you love more than anything in the world and it's innocent. And eventually, it's going to get all of those things of anxiety and self-doubt. And you you watch it happen to them and there's nothing you can do. Well, you're, there is something you can do. Yeah, because your job you can as a parent is to, to process. You yeah. have to help them to process through those things. You know, and that's, But we were, I was talking about, he's referring to, we were having a conversation yesterday because I said, I feel like sometimes I think I want to have kids and then I, other times I think that's probably the most selfish thing anyone can do because I look around and I'm like, look at the majority of people who, despite how much they work and even maybe despite how much success they have, are so close to losing everything. You know what I mean? Talking about how most Americans are one like medical incident away from being totally bankrupt. And mm-hmm. then we talk about climate change and like the state of politics and all of those things, none of which we can control. Why? So it's like why uh, people have been trying to do it for decades. It doesn't but, seem but to be no, doing but, us any but good. But they have been doing it for decades, but it's now it's your turn to do it. And my thing about millennials is I have hope for a world because millennials, I feel like, is the first generation that actually looks beyond themselves to the greater, to the greater world, to the greater society around them. Like, they care legitimately about uh, shit outside themselves. We see through the bullshit, too. There was so much narcissism, not just in the boomer generation, but they got passed on to my generation just because we weren't um, the lies and the propaganda and the happy face, at least in America, that's been slapped on everything my whole life. You know, it's kind of like... I had a serious wake-up call, you know, at some point, probably, you know, when you were, I guess, around 10 years old, and I'm just like, man, like, all of this shit I've been told is literally just lies, and, you know, trying to break out of that, but it's kind of like you're halfway through your life. Right. You guys are coming up with Yeah, we perception. grew up with that. I feel like up until the age of, like, eight or nine was when I realized that uh, no matter, you can, if you work hard, you can accomplish anything you want. And I don't know what changed, but at some point, we all realized that was fucking bullshit. But we, I feel like every millennial I know realized that as a child. Like, yeah. we got that message as, yeah. as a kid that, like, that's fucking nonsense. Mm-hmm. But probably because we were also in a situation where a lot of us watched our parents literally do everything they could for us, and it still wasn't enough. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've watched so many of, you know, at times, our family and my peers' family, where their parents worked one jobs, two jobs, all the shit that they would go through to provide for them, and they still had nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like... I like to commonly think of our generation as like the, oh, really generation? Because like, that's what we do all the time. And my favorite one was like, you know, for years and years and years, what was the narrative was pushed like, oh, you know, can't let these illegal migrant workers come in because they're taking your job. Oh, really? Are they though? Like, is it, is it a migrant worker's fault that I'm living in disparity and I'm poor or is it 
the plutocracy. Right. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, like maybe this on. guy over here who's worth billions of dollars that doesn't pay taxes because of loopholes that his friends created, maybe it's his fault that I'm living in disparity. They don't maybe want not to this poor migrant right. worker who's also poorer than me. That is the number one rule of the ruling class is make the poor think that it's the other poor's fault yep. that they're poor Absolutely. and then behind closed doors we can trade off that is one stuff. level of optimism i can look at millennials definitely don't fall for that bullshit mm-hmm. the majority of us anyway i mean i still it, it does confuse me when i meet people who are millennials that have like uh I don't even want to say conservative because I do know some conservative and some Republican people who who are not that stereotype that the conservatives have become in in a Trump era world. Um, they don't just fucking repeat the shit they hear it on Fox News. You know what I mean? But it's weird to find those people who do the ultra right brainwashed conservative mm-hmm. people who are millennials that repeat that shit because I'm like, you, you, you're not. I'm sorry. Do you, are you under the impression that a forty thousand dollar a year job makes you one of them? So you know Marx what I mean? Like that, what are you fucking Marx defending called this? that the petty bourgeoisie. Like there's the bourgeoisie, right? And then there's the petty bourgeoisie. The middle, the people that think that they're on the outskirts of the. <laughs> right. You're not, dude. You're not. You're not part of that. Like small it's business wild. owners. If you watch the small business owners, are the most rabid supporters of Trump because oh, they absolutely. think that their little small business is keeping the country afloat. They've been sold all that bullshit. And they believe it. They believe it full full steam. And it's not like the charlatan has spoken. Right. Yeah. yeah, they don't. They don't care. They don't care about your business. Trust Orange me. man, bad. <laughs> and so. it, that's that's the best part about millennials too. Is we've come to realize. Well, I mean, a lot of us and some people in Gen X too have come to realize. Like, you know, if you really look at it, it's really kind of dumb to just put all your eggs in one basket politically. Like, I'm a conservative, and that's all I believe. Okay. Well, like. There's stuff on the other side, and that doesn't make you a radical. Like, I I pull myself to almost every party out there in some way or another. Right. You know, I can't put a label on it, so I just tell everybody that I'm a centrist libertarian. That doesn't mean shit, because at the end of the day, there's stuff that I believe about Republicans, and there's stuff I believe about mm-hmm. liberals and the progressive left. There's so many different facets now. you got Democrats, progressives, progressive left, Bernie progressives, like, then there's... Conservatives, fiscal conservatives, like old school, hardcore religious. I can't keep up with all these names, man. They're like, oh, neoliberals, leftists. They're like all different factions, and I'm like, I'm just for whatever one helps the working class people well, and supports healthcare. And that's, that's, that's it. That's what they're afraid of. That's what they're desperately afraid of. Because the last time there was a major paradigm shift in our country was during the civil rights movement, and when it was because it was because people realized that across racial boundaries and gender boundaries and all that stuff. We're all workers trying to make it. Right, yeah. And that was dangerous. I'm the working class party. That's that literally all I give a shit about. So, and I feel like the left is even more uh, detrimental to that effort by trying to divide us into, well, let's make LGBTQ people not like this group of people if they don't support this or that. And it's like, right. but they got to go get a job and make a living too. Like, Absolutely. let's all focus on the yeah, stuff they were we talking all agree about, on and then settle that other stuff later. Somebody at work was talking about in West Virginia passing uh, the rule... Uh, something about transgendered kids playing in sports and and in West Virginia decided to weigh in and make a ruling about that for our state mm-hmm. and I just they they were talking about it at work and they kind of all look at me because I'm like left-leaning and they're all right-leaning and I was like I have no opinion on this other than the fact that I can't believe there are so many poor people in West Virginia people with drug habits that don't have health insurance you know all of these fucking problems we have and, and this is what you're worried about mm-hmm. i'm like specifically i mean transgender people as a whole as a community are such a small percentage of all people to begin with and then you break that down to how many of them are really in west virginia 
and this is the law that you hurried up and got passed. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know what I think about it one way or the other. There's probably arguments on both sides. I don't know anything about fucking mm-hmm. sports or if you want to break down the biology of it. I don't fucking know. All I know is it doesn't affect the majority of people who have a lot of fucking problems here. So yeah. it seems like a waste of time and money. Like, <laughs> Wasn't it Noam Chomsky that said uh, Democrats can never let a good crisis go to waste? <laughs> he no probably idea. was one of many people that said that. And then the end. Republicans have it on their own. And it's fun to watch them. It's That's why, like, with the politics thing, it's fun to watch people's heads spin because, like, you talk to, like, somebody you know that's, like, hardcore, super typical, like, white conservative, and they're like, do you like guns? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, awesome. What else do you like? And I'm like, I like women being able to have autonomy over their bodies. And they're like, you fucking what? <laughs> Get out of my house. And I'm like, oh, really? Or you talk to somebody on the liberal side, and they're like, do you believe in pro-choice? And I'm like, yeah, sure. A woman should be allowed to do whatever she wants with her body because it doesn't affect me. And then they're like, well, do you like guns? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, get the fuck out of my house. How dare you? And I'm like, I, I, know, I can't. Dude. I love those memes where it's like, it's like, you know, ragging on Trump or whatever. And you hear a Biden person in the background that's like, yeah, come join my team. And they're like, nobody was fucking talking to you. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'm not with you either. I had to laugh. Somebody I saw uh, on Facebook that was wearing a, it was right after the election. I haven't seen anybody post anything since then, but posted a picture of them in a blue hat with Biden's name on it. And I was like, what the fuck is up with you people in hats? I'm not putting anybody's <laughs> name on a hat. Yeah. I'm not doing oh, that. Yeah. That's fucking weird. Yeah. I still got my Bernie bumper sticker on this. Listen, red hats were only cool in the late 90s when Fred Durst wore one. <laughs> now nobody gives a shit about your red hat. <laughs> it's uh, fucking wild. But, but no, you have to follow up with us on the BlackRock thing. Oh, yeah, because I still episode. Had, yeah. Yeah, you have was... a lot of stuff there. And also, um, you know, they're, they're passing a worldwide tax. You guys know about that? Like Biden went to the, you know, his Europe trip and they talked about at the G8, they talked about like, because basically corporations are hiding their money in different places. So they don't have to pay fucking taxes. Mm -hmm. And all of these governments, including the U.S., including Europe, all over the place are struggling because all the people making money in their countries are hiding it elsewhere. Well, that's why Bernie wanted a tax registry. Yeah. They're hoarding wealth too. Yeah. So, and it's ironic because Biden's state is one of those fucking tax havens. But anyways, um, they're now pushing this thing that they want a 15% corporate tax worldwide no place you can't hide your money anywhere and pay less than 15 percent because that'll stop companies from seeking the lowest you know going for the, the lowest bar offshore bank accounts and whatnot yeah and i feel like this real estate thing is going to play into that because they're going to try to put their cash their money they're going to try to use it like to just like trump did with his, his real estate well that's 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 money i'm losing money on i'm buying, i bought that real estate that's a deduction or whatever so I feel like that's a big thing. And like England right now, there's a ton of properties. They're owned by like people that are basically trying to launder money. They're trying to buy properties, expensive properties right in downtown London. They're they're vacant. No one's using them. No one knows who owns them. Mm-hmm. And it's like been a lot of reporting on that too. So definitely going to have to follow up on this and get to the bottom of like. Oh, I can bring you all kinds of stuff about that um, billionaire tax document leak and the fact that the conservatives lost their mind. It's like, how could we let this private information be leaked? Not, oh, hey, look at all these guys that are cheating on their taxes yeah. by laws that we made. And we only like, like leaked why information. Why does Jeff Bezos need a $10 billion bailout if he's the quote-unquote richest man in the world? We only like those leaks if they have to do with uh, Benghazi, right? Or Hillary. Hillary's yeah. emails. Yeah, that's it. Orange man bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I got, I mean, we could always go back to BlackRock later because I still had, the. I wanted to like tease the scary part. It's not just the real estate. Like BlackRock is ingrained in your government, and I have the proof here. And, like, wow. it's public common knowledge that BlackRock cronies are, like, direct 
adversaries and advisors, or I'm sorry, not adversaries, direct advisors for the Biden administration and the whole COVID relief bill that like helped all the corporations and was like, hey, here's a bunch of money. Don't fire people. Or like, mm-hmm. oh no, fuck the American people here. Take all this billions of dollars. Larry Fink had his hands in all that. And there's phone records to prove it. So what I'm hearing is, uh, you're going to come back next week? <laughs> I can try. Or whenever. Yeah. All right. Well, we will, uh, we'll definitely get that together because we're going to need a part two of this for sure. But um, I guess we'll wrap it up here since we're at our time. And um, I'm scared. Oh, <laughs> this is Juke signing off. This is Mick signing off. That's Alex signing off. <laughs>